chapter 13, we'll be completing our mini-series today on love seriously. I was reading this week that the average student graduating from college in the United States today graduates with $30,000 in student loan debt. Some of you said, I wish I only graduated with $30,000 worth of student loan debt. And some of you are saying, yeah, I graduated with that much 30 years ago, and I'm still paying on that student loan debt. I found out that the average American household has a mortgage debt of $147,000 still remaining on their mortgage. Uh, Did some more research and found that the average American household has $30,000 worth of car debt that they Oh, on their cards, and I began to think to myself, ugh, debt is yucky. Now, this is not a sermon on stewardship. Just wait, that'll come later, but not today. What if I told you that there was a debt that God wanted you to get into? A debt that he wanted you to take on, a debt that would keep growing and growing, a debt that you will never be able to pay off, and a debt that would make you happy, what would you think of that? I mean, when we think about debt, we think about it in some pretty negative terms. No one wants to be in debt, but the Bible is going to tell us this morning that we owe a debt, a debt that we can never pay off, and that debt, when we pay on it, always pays dividends. It seems counterintuitive, but it is true. Today, I'd like to talk to you about the happy nature of the debt that we get to pay. The debt that we have to pay is to love seriously. Are you in Romans chapter 13? We're going to be looking at verse 8 and following. Owe to no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet... And any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, and therefore love is fulfilling the law. Now those are some big statements from the Apostle Paul when he wrote them to the church in Rome, oh, some 2,000 years ago. Big statements about the nature of love. The first sentence is so instructive, and I want to help give the context this morning. It says, owe to no one anything except you owe a debt, and that debt is love. The context was this, and what was going on in the early part of Romans chapter 13. Apparently someone had, or maybe someones, had written Paul and said, now, if we're part of Christ's kingdom, if we're part of this new order that is Christians, if our allegiance is to Christ alone, do we still have to pay taxes? If Jesus is king, does Caesar, do we owe him anything? The local magistrates, do we owe them anything? In uh, honor, like, do, do we have to like bow our heads when a, an official comes by? Because we're part of Christ's kingdom now. That's what they were asking, and Paul was giving them a very clear indication of, yes, pay your taxes. Don't be indebted to the government. 
give honor to whom honor is due. And he's merely reflecting the words of Jesus. In essence, Jesus had said, render unto Caesars what is Caesars and give to God what is God's. In essence, you don't get to stop being part of the nation or the empire of which you're a part. Make sure you pay those things off. But by the way, while we're thinking about it, you do have a debt that you owe. You do have something that you are indebted to. So owe to no one anything, but here's the debt that you have, the debt that you can't pay off, and that is to love. You can never assume that you are free of that debt, Paul says to the Roman church, and Paul says to us today. How did we get into such debt? How did we get to a place where we owe this debt that we can't pay off? How did we get to a place where what we owe to the world is our love? Well, Romans, perhaps more than any other book of the entire Bible, gives a very logical progression to its thought. Point A leads to point B leads to point C. By the time you get to Romans chapter 13, we're like on, on, on double, you know, Q of logical progression of thought here for Paul. But there's a reason that we as Christians are indebted so deeply and can never stop loving. And the reasons are found, and we mentioned it earlier this morning, in Romans chapter 5. Will you turn back there with me for just a moment? Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and following, describes the nature of our debt. Are you in Romans 5, verse 8? For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone, uh, we're back in verse 6, forgive me, forgive me, we're back in verse 6. I gave Pete verse 8, so hopefully you have your Bibles with you. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone actually might dare to die. Now look at verse 8 that I told you to turn to. But God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from the wrath of God. Think about the statement that Paul has made about the love of God for us, because it is the nature of our debt. He says, you know what? In this whole human thing that we've got going here, someone will rarely, rarely die for a righteous person. That means someone who, who, who does everything right and finds himself on the wrong side of some conflict, uh, people will rarely die for that person. Then he says, but you know what, once in a while for someone who's truly good, someone might dare to give their life. But God demonstrates his love for you and I in this, that while we were still sinners, unrighteous, earlier in verse 6, that's why I went back there, forgive me for the confusion, that's why I went back to 6, we were ungodly, we were asebea in the Greek, we were not, had nothing to do with godly things, that's when Christ died for you, and that's when Christ died for me. Jesus saw every wrong you ever did and died for you anyway. That's the love of God displayed. He saw what a stinky jerk you are, and he died for you anyway. 
I like to say that you can really have fun with the Bible if every time it reads sin or sinner, you just insert the word jerk. Because it gets us a little closer, doesn't it? All the times we've hurt people, all the times we've hurt ourselves, all the times we've acted stupid, Christ saw all of that. God our Father saw all of that and died for us anyways. What an incredible measure of love that Christ has for you and I. When we begin to lack fervor and passion for God and for faith in Christ Jesus, it is surely because we have forgotten who we were and who we would be if Christ had not died for us while we were still sinners. So maybe for a righteous man, someone might die. Maybe for a good man, someone might die. But when you were still in your sin, Christ died for you. And he saved you from what? Sometimes we don't like to talk about that because it's a little bit prickly. He saved you from wrath. He saved you from eternal death. He saved you from hell. Because if God's truly loving, that means that God's just as well and that there is punishment for sin. If God's truly good, he can't leave deeds that are wrong go unpunished. If he's really the good God that we say that he is, he's got to pursue justice. But the reason we sing how great is our God and the reason we marvel at his love is that when justice and love met, it didn't meet at you and I. It met at his son on the cross. That the price and the penalty for our sin was paid on Calvary. So God could remain just and God could remain fully, mercifully loving towards human beings. That's the debt we're in. That's how great that we have been loved by God. Unless we get upset that God's not just, just remember, his wrath is coming. Well, those people, they never apologized and they never paid for what they did. God knows. And God is angry about sin. Sin that is left unrepented. Sin that is left outside the bounds of the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus. So you might say, you know what, Pastor Matt? I, I can accept God's love for me and the wrongs that I have done, but it's hard for me to understand God's love because of all the stinky things that have happened to me. God has an answer for that too. And he is not going to let unrepented sin go unpunished. He is a just God. The Bible tells us in Romans uh, chapter 9, because it is a logical progression, that God is just reserving his wrath for a time so that more and more people can come to repentance. That's how much he loves us. He's holding back from calling this age to a close and bringing in his kingdom fully because he wants more and more men and women to accept the sacrifice of his son Jesus. He's a merciful God. I'm sorry if I'm boring you with theology today, but my point is simple. There is nothing boring about God's love for you. It is extravagant. Have you ever had that moment where you just could pitch your kid right out the window? You've just had enough. You're ready to pitch them, wave like this, shut the window, be done. God came to that moment with each and every one of us 
and he sent his son to die for our sins. He didn't pitch us out the window. He didn't kick us out the house and slam the door. He invited us back in when we were at our most repugnant. I could talk about this for an hour, but I'm going to stop and move on. Because Paul says something even more extraordinary than this statement on debt right there in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. You can turn back there now. He says something even more extraordinary, something that I want us to grab hold of. And if I'm not preaching as fast and as feverish a pace as I usually do today, because I really want us to get these concepts. Verse 8. For the, for the one who loves another, this is 8b, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That is a mammoth statement. Massive theological statement that the one who loves another has, say it with me, fulfilled the law. Now before we go any further, it might behoove us to define the law because the law means a lot of things in the book of Romans and throughout the Bible. We have the law that was given to Moses. We have the law of Christ. We have uh, the law that is of sin and death. We have the law of the Spirit. But this is law here in verse 13 in its most basic sense, not with all the theological trappings. The most basic sense of the word law is right here in verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 8. And the most basic sense of the word law as I can define it for you is this. The law is our obligations to God as he sees them. If you're taking notes today, that can, that'll be a working definition that we use in the future. So it might be good to write down. The law is our obligations to God as he sees them. As he sees them. So if we want to fulfill our obligations to God, Paul says... Love other people. And then he goes on and he lists four of the Ten Commandments and says, listen, that, that whole heart, the heart of those commandments was to love other people. And he says something extraordinary right after he lists those four commandments. Did you see it? He said, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Any other commandment is summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we're not talking necessarily about the law of Moses here. We're not necessarily talking about everything that has to do with law in the Bible. We're just speaking fully now about our obligations to God, and that is to love one another. So why is it that Paul brings up these Old Testament commandments? Why is it that he brings up the law of Moses where he looks at us and says, if you really want to fulfill the law, and then brings up the law of Moses— you need to love one another. Well, he brings it up because God was trying to do something in Israel. He didn't just make Israel out of nothing in order to display some divine drama. What God was doing in Israel was trying to create a community that had such love and fidelity to God that their love and fidelity to one another would prove them to be the greatest nation on earth. He was trying to create a nation whose love and fidelity to God would result in love and fidelity to one another such that they would be the greatest nation 
on earth. That people would look at Israel and say, God lives there. The law of Moses, according to Paul, all the obligations that he heaped upon the Jewish people can be summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. Because to love is at the heart of the law. Everyone was supposed to be taken care of in Israel. No one was supposed to lack for anything. God's blessing was designed to be poured out on those people, and they were designed to take that blessing and disperse it liberally so that nobody had need. They were truly supposed to be the loving community that people would look at and go, God lives there. But as you read further into the Old Testament and you begin to read the prophets, you find out that they missed the point of the law. They thought the law was all about the ritual. They thought the law was all about the sacrifices. They believed the law was all about the trappings of religion. And the prophets began to say, folks, we've missed it. Being religious is not what God intended by giving us obligations to him. God gave us obligations to him so that we might love one another. And the prophets begin to speak to the nation of Israel and say, Israel, listen, God is saying to you, don't give me any more sacrifices. Don't hold any more festivals. Stop it. Because you're not loving one another. Just stop. I've had enough of the law as you see it. The law as I see it, says the Lord, is that you love one another and take care of one another. So stop the sacrifices, stop the festivals, stop all of it, and take care of your fellow man and woman. Passages like Isaiah chapter 1, Jeremiah chapter 7, Hosea chapter 6, Micah chapter 6. These are the passages that we draw these theological conclusions from. So if you're taking notes, Isaiah 1, Jeremiah 7, Micah 7, Hosea, or Micah 6, Hosea 6, read them. God says, stop all the religion and start taking care of one another, loving one another, being the nation that I called you to be. And when Jesus came, he looked at the Pharisees and said, what are you doing? You're missing the heart of the law. The obligations that I gave to you, Israel, were not so that you could add law upon law and rule upon rule. It was so that you could create the community of God, that people would see God's wisdom and God's love and God's passion for human beings displayed in people. Not the rules and rituals. You've missed it. You've missed it, Pharisees. He calls them blind guides. Blind guides. Because they miss the heart of the law. You know what Jesus said about love being the heart of the law? He said to his disciples, a new command I give to you, love one another. He said to his disciples, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How did Jesus interpret the whole of the Old Testament? Well, in his words, 
All the law and the prophets hang on this. Love the Lord your God with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are your obligations to God as he sees them. The New Testament is a book that reinterprets God's law. And the law is based in loving people. Love seriously. It isn't a nice concept for us to contemplate. It isn't a nice concept for us to just have a general affinity towards. It's the very center of how Christ interprets God's obligations on his people. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote a book. It was called James. Very creative. He didn't title it James, but someone later on did. He echoes the same sentiment that Jesus and Paul echoed. He said in James chapter 2, verse 8, he said, You do well, folks, if you really fulfill the royal law of Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He calls it the royal law, the king's law, the kingdom's law. You want to be someone with fidelity, faithfulness to the king? You do well if you follow this law. Love your neighbor as yourself. The royal law and the king's law is what James calls it. Today, we are in the kingdom of God. We are God's people. We have been grafted into Israel. And the call to us today is the call that Jesus was making 2,000 years ago, that Paul was reminding us of 2,000 years ago, to fulfill our obligations to God, to pay on the debt that we can never repay, we must love like nobody else loves. So great is the love of God for us displayed in Christ Jesus that we as the community of faith in Jesus make it our central aim to love one another. Central aim, the kingdom law, the thing upon which all the law and prophets hang. The only debt that we are supposed to owe is to love, is to love. We should be passionate about fulfilling the king's law because God is trying to create in his church universal what the Israelites failed to create. And that is a community that is so in tune with how they are to treat fellow human beings that people would look at the kingdom of God and say, wow, God is there. God is there. He's trying to create that in us. I believe the words of the prophets are true for you and I today. Stop it with the rituals. Stop it with those sacrifices. Stop it with those festivals if your heart is not for another person. If your love is not ready to be displayed. Stop it. Stop it. Be people of love. 
You didn't know you could get yelled at for 15 minutes about love, did you? (laughs) But I prayed to the Lord that he would allow me to be passionate about this subject because it's the fulfilling of the law. It's the fulfillment of our obligations to God, the central fulfillment. This is revelatory. It should be revelatory to us. How much God wants us to love one another and how it's the center of his obligations for each and every one of us. How can we do this? How can we be people who do what Israel could not? How can we be people who actually fulfill the law? How can that be possible? I want to give us three ways that we can begin to be the people that God has called us to be. Three ways. And let me give a disclaimer here for a moment. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the only one who can make of us the people that we're supposed to be. So for those of you who feel like when I give these three practical elements, like I would go away from unless God does this in you, it's not going to happen, I'm not. But I want to give us three things today that are super important for us to grab hold of to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in us and make of us the kingdom of Jesus Christ the way he saw it. First thing, and there are three Ps this morning if you're taking notes, we must be persuaded. We must be persuaded that our love, your love, our love, is the vehicle for God's glory on earth. We must be persuaded of this. We must be persuaded that the love that we show people is the vehicle for God getting his work done on this earth. That's the center of the law. We read it last week in 1 Peter chapter 4, did we not? So that God may be glorified in Christ Jesus in all things. Love. I don't believe most of us are fully persuaded of this. What we are persuaded of is if we can preach a little better, if we could evangelize a little better, if we could be a little more eloquent in our presentations, that we will distribute God's kingdom on earth. If you have not love, see, I didn't have to preach from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to get the point across. If you have not love, I wish I had a symbol. It's over there, not going that far. Clang, clang, clang. (laughs) Goes the world. Clanging symbol, Paul calls us, if we try to reach the world without love. Clang, clang, clang. We must be persuaded that ours is not a religion with some love on the side. But God calls us to be people of love, and then their religious trappings have meaning. Then the rituals are pure. Then the festivals are right. If we take care of one another and love each other the way that we're supposed to. So that when people come into contact with the representative of the kingdom, 
they walk away knowing they've been loved. We must be persuaded that our love is the vehicle of God's glory, not our ritual. Second, we must be proactive about loving people. We must be people who seek to love in every situation of life. Now, I'm not going to go back and re-preach last week's sermon, but we learned three practical ways to love, didn't we? That we as Christians are people who show hospitality, that we serve and we give and we speak as if nothing is our own, but that it all belongs to God. All of it. Everything that we have in our belongs to God, and therefore, we're proactive in the ways that we love people. If you are a passively loving person, you're not a loving person. If you're constantly saying things like, I hope somebody meets that need, that's pretty sad. You might not be a very loving person. If you're constantly looking at situations and go, if I had a little more time, I'd step in there. You're not proactive with your love. You're not a very loving person. If I had a little more money, I'd help. But my measly gift wouldn't get them very far, so I might as well not give it. Heading to Red Lobster. Not a very loving person. Not a very loving person. Oh, they're so torn up in the altar. I feel so bad. I hope one of the elders prays for them. But what about you? Is God laying it on your heart? Oh, look, a new person in church. Thank God we have a welcome team. Not a very loving person. And my favorite, oh, look at that. Don't we pay somebody to do that? Not a very loving person. Hospitality, service, and speech. Hospitality, service, and speech. As if nothing is our own, not our time, not our talent, not our treasure. Belongs to God. We have to be proactive in our love, folks. Proactive in our love. Hospitable in our love. Open homes, open churches. Full of service, I'm going to go meet that need. Full of the speech of God, I'm going to say what needs to be said. Proactive in our love, folks. Stop waiting for someone else to show God's love. You do it. You do it. Stop waiting for someone else to meet that need. You do it. You do it. Stop waiting for someone else to pray that prayer. You do it. Stop waiting for someone else to give a word of encouragement. You do it. Be proactive in your love. Stop coming to church hoping someone will greet you. Come to church ready to greet someone. You do it. You do it. Pastor Matt, you're mad. No, but I am impassioned. I'm impassioned by this. Because it's speaking to me. It's speaking to me. A couple months ago, I got something into my Facebook message. You guys didn't know it. I was on Facebook. Don't friend me. I won't friend you back. Uh, 
I, I merely use it to message people. I last posted during the Bush administration, so uh, I don't spy on you either. It depresses me. So uh, <laughs> I'm on Facebook, and somebody messages me and lets me know about just this, this, this need and appealing to me as in my role as a pastor. I, I need help. It wasn't a financial need. It was a, it was a time thing. It was a volunteer thing. Pastor Matt, can you please help in this situation? And I read that, that message, and, and I, I, I got sick because I thought this with a full heart. I have no mechanism to meet that need. I have absolutely no way to do anything about this one. Has that ever happened to you? In, in all truth, God wasn't calling you to anything. You just knew that you didn't have the means or the mechanisms to meet a need. And I sat there and I thought, oh God, my heart breaks for these people in this situation. I wish I could do something. And a short time later, I felt like God said to me, Matt, does your heart burn to meet the needs that you can? God, why do you say stuff like that? <laughs> Matt, does your heart burn to meet the needs that you can meet? Because that's love. That's love. That's love. To burn to meet the needs that we can. And that's the third and final point. We must be persistent in our loving. Our debt to love is never paid off. We should be trying to perfect our loving. We should be trying to make it as complete as can be. That we meet every person that we can with the right attitude and the right heart and the right passion and the right the right we must be persistent folks and not say well I loved yesterday today I'm taking care of me I served yesterday today I'm looking after me I just need to come to that place and receive I got nothing to give. I believe God would say to many of us this morning, it's time to be a little more persistent in the desire to perfect your love life. Be persistent in doing what God's called us to do. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? I'm going to ask that during this time of prayer, that respectfully you would remain where you're at. Here at Victory Life, we end the service when we've had a chance to pray. And we're going to take an opportunity in the next few minutes to do that. Our elders are going to come and be at the front here to pray for anybody who has need this morning. You may be responding to the message, and that would be wonderful. If you just want to pray in this altar without an elder anointing you with oil, that's fine. This altar is open for you to kneel and for you to deal with God on what he's talking to you in your heart. But if today you have any need, 
that you would like prayed for, our elders would love to pray for you. Perhaps today you're sick, we'd love to pray for you. Perhaps today you say, you know what, Pastor Matt, today's the day I need to accept the love of God in Christ. I need to say, Christ, you have my life. I accept it. I want to be part of this kingdom that you've called me to, the one where you loved me enough to die for me, and now I love you enough to love others. Our elders would love to pray for you. I'm just going to pray and begin to lead us, and then I'm going to invite you to either come to the altar and pray if God's directing you to move towards him, or to remain in your seat and say, God, what is it that you're calling me to? What is it that you're telling my heart? What do you want me to do with what I've heard today? These altars are open. I'm not going to make another call. If you'd like prayer today, you know where to come and get it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us such a clear call today that we have such a great debt That debt is to love and love and love and love. And we don't get to pay it off. We just keep accruing interest. God, as we do, may we recognize that that's a vehicle of your glory. That we expand the kingdom of God by loving one another the way that you've called us to. Today, Lord, if there is someone here who's never accepted your love, never accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, never asked to have their sins forgiven and to be made new. I pray that they would come this morning. I pray that they'd come and just say, God, I need you. I don't care what it looks like or who's looking. I need you today. I pray if there is one here today or many here today who say, God, I have been so cold and indifferent to so many situations I've been doing religion, but I have not been interested in loving. I need a heart transplant today. Lord, begin that transplant by your Holy Spirit. I pray that they would make that clear to you, and you would make it clear to them what to do next. I pray today that you would meet us in this place, and that your gentle spirit would speak your truth to us today. Begin to make us new. The altars are open.